0: Welcome, you're listening to Season 2 of But Seriously, What is Engineering? A podcast series from the University of Queensland where we explore all corners of engineering. We'll be covering a range of specialisations and exciting engineering careers through our special guests with an aim to open your eyes to just one more part of the wide world of engineering by the time this episode is finished. Spoiler alert, it's not just about bridges and buildings. This episode is hosted by two of the University of Queensland's Women in Engineering
1: student leaders.
0: I'm Lizzie and I'm in my fourth year of a dual major in civil and
1: geotechnical engineering. I'm Christy, I'm in my final year of general civil engineering with a dual degree in finance management. Today we'll be talking to Zoe Ether, an experienced engineer, consultant and Churchill Fellow who specialises in smart communities. The combination of Zoe's engineering background and her ability to engage and explain complex topics in a friendly and informative way allows her to offer future thinking, useful and realistic strategic advice. Zoe keeps up to date with the latest trends and shares her learnings through hosting the Smart Community podcast. Through her boutique consultancy, My Smart Community, she offers strategic advisory on dealing with disruption, leveraging infrastructure spend and major projects, smart technology in regional communities, and facilitating genuine collaboration. Welcome to the podcast,
2: Zoe. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Can you tell us, Zoe, what are smart communities? smart community uses new ways of thinking and technology and data as enablers to make the places we work, live and play more accessible, livable, and sustainable for all. That's the tagline, but what it actually means is how can we do things a bit differently to make the best use of our resources now and into the future? And also thinking about the people that may not have access to the network now, maybe they don't have access to services now. How can technology and data really help us to engage with them and bring everyone's quality of life up to a similar level or increase their quality of life overall? So for me, it's not just about the technology, although that's an important part because we know that technology has infiltrated all of our lives and has for a long time. Like that's a fairly obvious thing to say. But now it's actually a utility. So having connectivity to the internet is like having a you know water to your house or having electricity, for example. Those things may have um, you know come earlier, but now we're thinking about how can we use connectivity to really bring us into the the next level of um, our modern society, and how can we make sure that everyone has access to that, and what things can we do with that as well. But A lot of the time we talk just about the technology or the widgets or the, you know, the the new app or or whatever it is, you know, the the public Wi-Fi or what can we do with that, but actually we need to come and bring it back to the people. So what are the pain points that we want to try and solve? And also thinking about when we are making decisions, who's not at the table and how can we bring them into the fold um, so we can have better conversations.
0: Do you have an example of what some of those pain points might be
2: that smart communities aims to alleviate? Smart community approach, there's so many different, you know, areas. You think about a a community, you think about a city and how many different things are happening within a city. So working with um, Council in Queensland, thinking about uh, their road network. We drive on it, we walk on it, we cycle on it, we catch a bus on it. Um, Our roads, there are so many of them um, within each of our communities you know, we don't like so much on roads are uh, potholes and defects and cracks and, and um, when the road gets flooded and those type of things. Um, and it can really um, cause a community or the mobility of a community to go to a standstill when we know that, you know, we can't access the road and that type of thing. One of the projects we've been working on is using uh, cameras and um, an algorithm behind it, so using machine learning, to automatically detect potholes um, in roads. One thing, we can then know where all the potholes are, we can then use um, prioritised maintenance, for example, so we can go to the the worst potholes first, um, increase safety for the community, etc. If we just do that like on its own, then that, that that's great, that's solving one problem, but actually we need to integrate it into the council systems. So now rather than it just being a standalone system, it integrates into the system that they use for maintenance, asset management. And then we think about, We've never had this level of data before, so we've got lots of different, you know, we know the, the basically the defects on, on each of the roads, that type of thing. We've never had that to this level, this amount and this accuracy um, because before we used to, um, well we still do, uh, we might go once a year or once every three years sometimes depending on how much funding we have available to assess the assets. But if we know that every week, for example, so what they've been able to do is put these on garbage trucks. Um, so again, utilising another asset that we know is driving around the roads. And every week they now have an up-to-date lay of the land, they know what um, their assets are doing. And what that means is they can prioritise better, so we can increase the safety um, for the people in the community, increase the accessibility so we know that you know, if we're, we don't want to hit potholes in our car and that type of thing. But then also feeding that back into the systems, now we can make better decisions about where we spend our money. So we might be able to plan better. Maybe we upgrade this road instead of this one and that type of thing. That's a key pain point that maybe the community wouldn't say, oh, there's too many potholes. Or maybe they would, actually. Um, (laughs) um, They probably do say that. But if we just think about how then we can integrate it into all the other systems, how we can work with the systems we have, we can make better decisions with the technology and data that um, is, is available right now, but also looking just beyond the horizon too, because as we learn, um, as we innovate, new things come to the market and we can come up with new ideas of how they all come together.
1: It sounds like you're very passionate about what you do. So I was curious, what did you study at university? And when did you come to the realization that
2: engineering might be the career path for you? Yeah, great question. So I actually studied civil and environmental engineering. I didn't know what engineering was at the time. Um, I grew up in Roma, which is about six hours west of here. Um, I knew that I loved maths. I knew that I loved science, um, but I also loved drama. And I also, you know, I was the school captain, so I loved public speaking and I, and I was in the school musical. So I just kind of put my, you know, fingers in all the pies. And somebody just said to me, oh, what do you want to do? And, and I was also very passionate about helping people. I was, a, I was an advocate. I was, you know, um, whenever um, there was, I guess, a challenge, I would, I would go, yes, let's, let's do something differently. And somebody said, oh, w- what about engineering? And I was like, okay, what is that? I don't really know what that is. Um, and so when I looked it up I was like oh okay I could go overseas I could you know work in developing countries I could um, you know help with water sanitation all those type of things didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do and it kind of seemed I I had big dreams but I wasn't sure how I was going to make it a reality because when you grow up in a small town you know everything seemed so huge like even coming to Brisbane was huge Um, going overseas nearly seemed impossible but I was like oh I could maybe I can do that. There wasn't a pure environmental engineering um, course at the time, so I did civil and environmental, um, and then I I applied for a scholarship with Transport and Main Roads to the state government that looks after our road network. That's how I started. When I finished my degree, then I worked for Transport and Main Roads, um, and I started in hydraulics, actually, but I realised that me sitting at a computer, um, doing computer modelling, was not for me and again, reached out and wanted to be with the people. Uh, and uh, that's when I looked at um, going into construction and fortunately I could rotate around um, as a graduate engineer in transport and um, I ended up uh, back out of Roma actually on um, construction site, which I loved. Um, lots of challenges being a woman in construction and even a young person in construction actually. Um, and then I, um, I loved the project management side of things and I was a quality engineer on site and kind of made my way up um, through through the through all those levels um, but what I really liked about it is that you could solve different problems um, you know you might think oh I'm just building a road but there's so many different parts um, and you know I, I liken it to the analogy of a community there's so many different systems so many things working when you're building something there's so many things that um, interact with each other as well and that's where I kind of learned that um, I, I really enjoyed that project side of things where you could see something go from beginning to end um, and then all the different elements in between. I was just wondering
1: what would you say a career highlight of yours? has been within that industry
2: even just like in construction itself um i got to work on um some really small projects and some really big ones one of the really big ones was toowoomba second range crossing so that was i think a six billion dollar road project, a brand new road, 41 kilometres of new road. Um, and I was in the environmental team. So we got to hang out with koalas, which was pretty cool um, as we relocated them, looking at where, um, you know, rehabilitation and all that type of stuff um, for the environmental in the environmental space. Also having environmental controls and that type of thing. Um, but that, that was that was a really exciting project. But one of the really small ones I worked on uh, in construction in particular um, was a culvert. Um, so it was a, over a 100 year uh, wooden culvert, uh, so timber culvert, and you'll think, does that, does that even exist? So this was a replacement of that. And, and just how deep it was, and just like basically this this historical you know, culvert, which sounds boring as hell, but um, actually now that I'm saying it out loud, but it was really interesting to look at what it was then and then we were gonna replace it with this new one. And the reason that that was my, one of my favorite projects, There were all, it was such a small project, but there were so many different parts that you need to, you know, we had a really small, um, you know, section of road, so then you have to build a whole, you, know, you basically build a whole road, road even though it's only might've been mm, 20 meters wide or something like that, uh, long rather. But then there was all these different things that have to happen, but I was the project manager and it was my first job where I I was, you know, responsible for everything. It was a really good learning experience for me, just bringing all that, diff- all those different things that I knew. But I didn't have anyone. I mean, I had my senior project manager, but they were in the office, right? So I was the one on site, and I was calling all the shots. Um, and that was when I realised, oh, okay, I can do, I can do this. Um, this is what I really love to do, and also that there's so many different um, relationships and stakeholders that you have to have so it's not just about building the road you need to build a relationship with your your crew so you, um, the people on the ground um, you know nearby um, farmers uh, that you know you might be disrupting their daily commute or, or whatever the case is or you might you need to um, set up camp in one of their back paddocks kind of thing um, so all these different things which you know, they're not super advanced and super tech or whatever, but also just putting your systems in place as well was something that you had to be really efficient because you didn't work on office time, I like to call it, it's real time. You know, you're up at six, you're finishing at six, you have to be off the road. There's all these things, all these standards as an engineer that you need to meet. And also explaining to um, people on the ground that have done things for many years, how they've done them, Um, but maybe the standards change now. So then you have to explain why it is we're doing it differently, but also listening to them as well, because they've been doing it for so long. So it's building all of those relationships. You mentioned that there were some challenges being a young
0: woman in the construction industry. What were some of those challenges and how did you overcome them?
2: Being a young person as well was also, so, you know, being a young woman, you were quite an eyesore, basically, like people like, oh, who are you? What's happening here? And also then being an engineer as well, um, because some of the construction sites weren't even used to having an engineer on, on site, um, let alone a young a young woman. And also I thought I knew a lot of stuff um, when I was when I first started. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I learned this, this, and this, and I'm going to do this, this, and this. And that's when I really realized that that approach doesn't work. Even if I did know, in inverted commas, that wasn't the way that I was going to get across. There are some things that are just kind of sticky situations where Um, It's just a uh, a new situation for everyone. Um, The way people speak um, may be a bit different than you're used to. If you're used to going to, you know, even uh, working in office or going to uni, um, you know, there's lots of, swear words on site and that's just part of the regular vocabulary, but there are lots of opportunities too. And I think there was a really, um, when I first got there, it was hard to know what was just the way it was in inverted commas again, because we can always shift and change things and what was actually wrong and that needed to be addressed. Um, And because I was one of the only women on site, particularly my um, my first job, there was no one else to talk to that would have the same experience as me. So even when you talk to the guys on site or the boys on site, they didn't necessarily understand. Even if sometimes they um, were empathetic to the situation, they couldn't quite understand. And what I found most difficult was that then I would get laser focused on those things. So anything that happened, I'd go, oh, it's just because I'm you know, a woman on site or whatever. So you try and like overcorrect for it as well. But then once I got um, some really good mentors, and, and men and women actually, um, then I was able to, uh, I guess, talk through things and, and, and they could sense check for me like, oh no, that's... And, and sometimes it's not um, that uh, it's necessarily wrong, but it might be taken the wrong way or whatever the case is. So the biggest thing, I guess, to overcome those things is to really find those mentors and women in construction and and people with similar experience that may have had similar experiences in the past. And they don't have to be exactly the same, of course. Um, And then just talking through things. So it's something that you might not find a big deal, but actually talking through it then will help you be able to move on. One of the biggest things I found was When you told people about it, it was like nearly unbelievable, some of the stuff that you're like, what? People say that now? Um, In this day and age? Um, I'm hoping it's continued to improve uh, and talking to some of, um, and I think there's lots of there's probably more um, women in construction or women in trades, or um, you know different groups that you can uh, reach out to as well. And I think there's there's more of those now. It doesn't just have to be a women in, but sometimes it's really good to be able to you know reach out to that support group to find um, to find people that you can connect with and and share similar experiences, but then also have somebody to just talk through normal everyday things that that sometimes maybe your family or friends don't quite understand because they're not in the same field. My first project manager, who um, was a, was a, a male, he, he really helped me kind of just start those first couple of years and, and, and he would really, when I would talk to him thing, about things, he um, would really help me kind of see gave me real advice um, and like what I could do better. And and that was a really good relationship where I could go, oh, this is what's happened. Tell me what I should do about it. Um, and and cause he was like kind of my trusted advisor. And he'd been in construction for so long too. Um, that really helped too because he could see things, you know, shift and change. But he was also really kind of thinking about the future.
0: That's really inspiring, Zoe. Thank you for sharing. You're also a member of Engineers Australia. Does that organisation offer mentorship to young engineers as well?
2: Yeah, they definitely do. And I have been a mentor um, with Engineers Australia. Um, not sure what their current um, you know cohort is, um, but yeah, definitely. And I'd encourage anyone, like student membership is free, um, as far as I'm aware it was when I was a student, I think it still is. What Engineers Australia does is, it brings together all these different ideas. Like there's lots of different opportunities and events as well. Um, so I, um, I speak at some of those events. Um, there's so many, and because we know there's so many different types of engineers, you can kind of pick and choose. And there's lots of different events in different regions, um, online now obviously as well. Um, so, highly recommend uh, joining Engineers Australia as a student and then continuing your membership because there's lots of lots of space to then meet new people um, and. Particularly when you're trying to find jobs as well, um, go, going to those events, meeting different places, uh, different people that work at different places as well is really useful. And just getting different ideas for things that you might want to pursue um, is, really, is really important. Um, they have some, you know, gala events as well where you can have dinner and drinks and meet other engineers and you know just have fun and then they have kind of you know the the webinars and and those things that you can learn from which when you become an engineer you need to continually learn um, so cpd um, getting those um, points uh, so you can keep your registration and that type of thing as well so engineers australia is definitely a great place to do that
1: we mentioned earlier that you host the smart community podcast yes so what do you cover on that podcast for listeners
2: that may want to jump straight over after
1: this episode and have a listen to that?
2: Thanks so much for asking me about the podcast. It's one of my favourite things to do. So I interview people all around the world about all things smart. Um, Not just about technology, but that's definitely a hot topic. Uh, Data. um, I get... People that are specialised in privacy for example, um, but also planners and engineers and engagement professionals because what I like to do is get a whole bunch of different ideas so people can take what they want from it. Um, Because we know in communities there's so many different people and so many different services and all those type of things, so for me having different voices involved in the conversation is really important. Some of my favourite conversations are with people that, um, you know, kind of say, I'm not in the smart community space um, and, you know, they're artists, but they use their art as a way to express certain things about technology to get people to talk about it uh, and, and, you know, thinking about different events and things that they've been to. And one of my other uh, favourite things to do and people to talk to is local government um, because people aren't used to hearing from them because it's like, oh, well, I'm from, you know, I'm from the government, so I can't say anything, you know, that's not official and blah blah blah, whereas I've found now people are more willing to speak about it and really I'm, I'm there to get their, their what, what's the, what projects are you working on, tell me exciting things and then those episodes get the most listens because people want to know what's happening other than just, you know, I mean potholes are exciting obviously, we talked a lot about them earlier, but other than just roads, you know, rates and rubbish or, or whatever the case is. Councils offer so many services and we use so many of them all of the time. And also thinking about people that, um, you know, rely on these services. You know, you think about libraries and, and community spaces and, you know, Other events that um, councils put on. There are so many different. It's so complex too, and that's why I love talking to councils because, particularly, people that want to, you know, they love what they do and they want to continue to improve and, you know, invest in technology for their community. It's not just because it's the latest thing or or whatever. It's like, how can this help my community? Um, So those episodes are are some of my all-time favorites. So there's more to come this year. So we do an episode every week. Our birthday was in February, so we're Just over four years old now um which is which is fun i I mean i left my government job to start the podcast um and i mean back then it it was a bit of a risky move um and i thought that you know i've just got to do this i've just got to try this um and so i I left um to start the podcast that didn't pay me any money um and you can only eat passion for so long so i then start that's when i started my consultancy um and yeah i haven't looked looked back, but I love working with government, to be honest. Um, it's my favourite thing to do. And I think as we continue to move and, and, and it's not just about, you know, flashy new things. Now we want to make really good, solid investments in technology and data to help our communities. Governments are looking at real ways to do that, uh, and which is, again, really exciting. We're, we're seeing things. Um, one of my other projects that I really love, um, and it was around uh, earlier, around this time last year, actually, was a, a confidential project, but it was for a traditional you know, public transport network, a new public transport network. And rather than um, you know, just planning it as, as they normally do, you've got your engineers, you've got your designers, you're designing bus stops, you're you know designing the roads, um, that type of thing, what, how frequent are the services, et cetera, et cetera, where will they go? They um, in, engaged us and I was um, contracted to Arup, um, which is a large engineering firm. I work a lot with Arup and um, it, it's brilliant, I love them. And um, we were contracted and we uh, were writing a smart city and digital, um, digital infrastructure strategy, essentially. You know, we've written some of these things for councils and, and um, they're all kind of different. But what this showed was that a very traditional project weren't just putting smart, you know, all the technology over here in a bucket, they were actually incorporating it in. So we wrote the strategy, we came up with a whole bunch of different initiatives that would support the community, but actually then, rather than it just sitting over here as its own strategy, it was incorporated into the the design from the very beginning. You know, for example, the bus stops have, have had free Wi-Fi. You know, that's a very simple example. Um, but we looked at things like what um, what could we do with energy? Could, could it be, um, you know, more self-sufficient? Those type of things. Could we use uh, different sensors to um, use uh, you know rainwater for example, and, and know where um, things were flowing to. Um, could we use things to tell us if um, you know a, new, a bus was was coming? Could we use lights and things? You know, there's so many different options, and and we really looked at how we could incorporate that into the the very start of the design, and, and kind of those no regret um, kind of uh, wins. And we also thought about the community, so if we're going to have you know this new advanced technology in there and you know it'd be able to um and some of it's not super advanced but it's just things to think about um, where we can people can access uh on their phones you know where where the bus is going to and from etc connecting with other um micro mobility sources you know scooters or or whatever the case is um, first and last mile travel all these things so there's lots of different things to think about but then we thought well who is going to use the bus as well so thinking about things like having um digital ambassadors so having people there that can then help people to, uh, particularly at the beginning when it first opens, to make sure they can use the technology. And also that there's so many, there's different channels for people to be able to engage. Cause not everybody's gonna use the smartphone. Not everyone's gonna be able to do that. Um, and so how can we make sure that everyone can still access the network and access the bus um, or whatever the case is. Um, and, and really think about that people element. So bringing it back to that customer and the people actually using the network. So I really liked that project because we incorporated things in from the very beginning. Um, So now when they build it, uh, it won't be add-ons later on. Um, And that really showed the maturity in the space of like we are thinking about how we can incorporate that from from the start um, and bringing those things in really early.
0: Um, you've discussed a lot of technology uh, sort of in Toowoomba area and inside cities. What sort of difference do you see in the type of engineering you do for a city versus what you might do for a rural community or a rural city like Roma?
2: In cities, there are lots of services. There's lots of, um, like if we think about transport, for example, there'll be things that people are used to a certain level and then they'll be able to, you know, they'll be able to catch a bus, for example, um, in, you know, from there from the suburb into the city, um, they might be able to jump on a scooter, they might be able to cycle, etc. When we're thinking about, say, someone like Roma, if you're talking to somebody about a public bus, then they're going to laugh you out of town, they're like, what? We don't have a public bus, like, what is that? And so they're very car dependent for, and, and it's not, I, I think, we've set up, you know, regional areas to be, um, you know, you're very self-reliant, right? And Also, if you're talking about, maybe you're talking about an autonomous vehicle, so one that drives itself. If you're talking to someone in Roma, for example, about an autonomous vehicle, they'll be like, I can't even stream Netflix. Why are you talking to me about this? So it's really important to bring it back to the local context. And it doesn't mean that we can't um, talk about those things, but you need to really think about what, are people, what do people have access to now? What, how can we lift that? And then how can we build on top of that? And thinking about, well, what is the problem again? It all goes back to problems, no matter whether you're in regional or cities, but those problems may be different. Because you might talk to somebody in a regional area, like on a, in a remote area, um, and they, one of their biggest pain points might be that they need to see a doctor because they have a medical condition, but they actually can't get into town you know, every single week. Um, so how can we set up maybe teleservices to be able to do that? Um, the pandemic the silver lining has been able to lift that. And, and, but again, if they don't have access to the internet and a strong internet connection, then they can't. Then the service isn't going to be useful for them. So really, really bringing it back to pain points, no matter where you are. But those pain points will be different because we're used to a different level of service. You can get people offside, you know, so quickly if you don't understand or don't even understand if you don't acknowledge the context that you're in, and also, you know, depending on where you're living and, and working, really trying to the pandemic has made it hard, but even thinking about you know, working in a different um, council area, actually embedding yourself in that space for a while, walking around, seeing what people are doing, that's really important um, because then you can actually bring some of that back to, you know, you're, you, you're there, but then listening to what the people are telling you too. Don't go in with, you really have to open up your mind, right? You don't, oh, well, th- they need this, this and this, they only have this, this and this. But if that's, not the pra- if that's not the problems they're telling you or the pain points that you know, are coming through in both the stories and the numbers, so the data, but then what people are telling you, then you know, you, you, you're gonna miss the mark. And I think that can really damage, I guess, the conversation in smaller um, communities because they go, oh well, some consultant from Brisbane came and it wasn't good, so we're not gonna do that again. But actually, there's real potential to actually improve the, com- uh, you know, the future of our communities, but you have to do it with the community, not to the community.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for that, Zoe. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I know personally what you've said I will take with me in my future career. Don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast to stay up to date with our current episodes as they are released for season two. Thank you so much for listening.